Welcome to the Heal Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leona Allen, and I'm here to help you achieve more freedom in your health and your life. I'm the founder of Freedom Health Systems, and I've been a licensed chiropractor and wellness coach for over two decades. I've helped men, women, and children transform their lives by removing the physical, chemical, and emotional barriers to natural healing. Every week, I'll be taking you on a journey, a journey where you will discover the real truth behind what it takes to heal your mind, body, and soul. Allow me to be your guide as you travel this road to renewed health and a new life. It's time to make a deal with yourself to heal yourself. Please keep in mind that this podcast is for educational purposes only and not to be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. With that said, let's begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Heal Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leona Allen, and you know my mission is to help you achieve more freedom in your health and your life by sharing true conversations about how you can heal at a deeper level. So today I have a wonderful guest, and I connected with her maybe about a year and a half ago. I was on one of her uh, summits, and we're going to share more about what she stands for and what she does. But I love just connecting with people, especially when we have a similar passion. Her name is Lucia Tiffany, and she is a specialist in reversing diabetes. She has a great story to share, but I'm going to let her tell it the way she knows how. So everyone welcome Lucia Tiffany, and please share a little bit about yourself. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Leona. I am so happy to be here with you and your listeners. So I am a nurse health educator, and I work with women entrepreneurs that are dealing with metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, or type 2 diabetes to help them reverse those conditions through lifestyle. So that's what I have been really passionate about and really focused on for a number of years now. And I love watching people make simple changes, lifestyle changes, and decrease their need for dependence on medications, and in many cases, come off of their medications entirely. So I, uh, I own 3D Health, LLC. I'm an author of several plant-based cookbooks. And I love to empower women to take charge of their own health so that they can prevent and reverse chronic lifestyle diseases like diabetes and prediabetes. I'm also a certified lifestyle coach. I'm a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And I've been featured on a number of cooking and health shows on 3ABN, which is a global Christian network. And I've been in their French, English, and Spanish channels. So it's just a pleasure to be here. And I am looking to serve your community with whatever we can share that's going to really bring them up today. The Journey to Healing Food Shopping Guide is your resource to making healthier food choices next time you go to the grocery store. Grab your copy today at HealthyShoppingHabits.com. Healing starts in the kitchen. Begin your journey to healing today. Go to HealthyShoppingHabits.com. Once again, that's HealthyShoppingHabits.com. 
Yes, and I'm so glad you're here because, you know, when we've had conversation in the past, our biggest connection was diabetes and prediabetes. And we may have a slightly different approach on how we do that, and we may get into that today. But I think what's important is the mission and that we're really helping people. So what is your story behind the story? Because to be passionate about this, you have to have certain connection, whether you've been through diabetes or someone in your family has been through it. What have you seen and what have you learned that got you from where you were to where you are now? That's a great question. And it's probably a two-pronged answer. The first part started when I was very small. Just before I was born, my parents, who were both educated in Loma Linda, California, one of the only blue zones in the United States, they learned a lot about lifestyle and its impact on long-term health, and they decided to become vegetarians. Now, this was back in the 50s when nobody was talking about being vegetarian. And so they decided that for their family, they really wanted to start their family outright with health. So I was born into this family where my dad was a physician, my mother was a nurse, and they were very involved in always learning more about the preventive side of health. How do we mm -hmm. keep from getting these diseases rather than focusing on curing them? Mm -hmm. So they would often travel by invitation to different towns, different churches to do series of seminars usually including a healthy cooking school. My dad would do lectures around how things work in your body so that you could understand that. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was nine, my mother had me in front of groups of adults showing them that even a child could learn to do healthy cooking. So that part started kind of early. And so very early on, I was seeing how people's health could improve as they made better choices in the area of healthy lifestyles. So I was kind of sold on that, you know, from the cradle, practically. And then I decided I wanted to move forward and get more training in the health field, like become a nurse, get my master's of public health. And in those like teen years, growing up years, I started noticing things that were going on in my own family. For example, my maternal grandparents were both diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. They were both also somewhat overweight. Well, my grandmother decided she didn't like the idea of being on medicines for the rest of her life. So she asked her doctor, what can I do? Is there a way that I can not need these medications? He looked at her. This was long before they were talking about lifestyle uh, for diabetes. And he said, well, you know, you're a little overweight. If you lost 30, 40 pounds, got down to your ideal weight, you might do better. So, and that was about all the help she got. She went home and she was like, well... How could I lose weight? So she decided I will watch my calories and I will monitor my weight and I will exercise. She was a pretty active person as it was. And so she put herself on a program, was extremely consistent, steadily lost weight down to her ideal of 120 pounds, by which time she no longer needed many medications for her diabetes. So she made it... Um, just a part of her life that going forward, she would weigh herself every day, not saying everybody needs to do this. But what she did was she would weigh herself every day. If she gained a pound, she'd simply skip a meal or two until she had lost the pound. And she kept herself within one or two pounds of that 120 
for the rest of her life. And she lived to be 96, never had to take any medications for blood sugar again, and so completely reversed it simply by eating healthy, moving, and resulting weight loss. And then I kept looking at my multiple aunts and uncles. My mother has seven siblings, so it was a large family. And I started noticing that as many of them hit middle age, they started getting diagnosed with diabetes. And they took different approaches to that diagnosis. So I had one uncle who, when he was diagnosed, he decided that he really wanted to eat healthy. He wanted to reverse it. He went through a program where he learned how to use plants to reverse his diabetes and and did so and was able to uh, get off of his medications for a very long time. I had another uncle who was one of my favorite uncles, a musician, and he was also a pastor. And if you know anything about pastors' lives, they're often being invited out to eat. They people's homes. Every time they go to visit somebody, they're offered food. And he never made the choice to speak up or to let people know that there were certain things he really shouldn't be eating. And so he wasn't careful with his diet. He was not terribly overweight, but he just ate whatever people gave him and never was consistent in making healthy choices around it. So unfortunately, he lost his eyesight, which was a real tragedy considering he was a musician and reading music was a big part of that life. Mm -hmm. And then he lost a leg, then he lost a second leg, and eventually he lost his life. And, you know, as I watched the difference between him and my grandmother and other ones of my aunts, uncles, and now cousins, that many of whom have diabetes or problems with blood sugar, it was just really driven home to me how powerful our personal choices are. And I was like, you know, I want people to understand the power of their choices. I do not feel like I need to be in a position to tell people what to do, how to eat, how to move. But I do want you to know the impact and the consequences in your body of your choices. Because I think once people really understand the power of their choice, they might make different choices. And indeed, that's exactly what I see happening over and over again as I work with people to help them reverse their diabetes. And I love that you shared all those different examples and all those different um, variations of the choices that were made and the impact that it had, because diabetes is a huge lifestyle disease. And it it is important to change the habits. But the confusion that a lot of people have that are pre-diabetic or diabetic is what are the choices that they make? Because in, in a way, reversing diabetes is simple, but it's not easy. So I want you to share two things that you've seen. What have you seen that was easiest for people to change? And one thing that's hardest for people to change? Let's start with the easy. What do you think is the one thing that people with prediabetes must do that's the smallest thing to do, but has the biggest impact? I think one of the things that has the biggest impact is making the choice to move directly after a meal rather Mm -hmm. than sit. Okay. Because as they do that, it immediately has an impact on their after meal blood sugars, which normally are on the rise, but it will blunt that spike. It'll keep it from going as high and will directly impact A1C levels rather quickly. Growing up, 
I remember my father was one who would often suggest it's time for a walk right after we ate a large meal, especially like our main meal of the day, we would go out for a walk. And my mother, um, who I mentioned before, really integrated movement into her life. So she's always kept active, often gardening or walking, never like when to go to the gym or do exercise videos or anything like that but just always moving. And it's been really interesting because she's the next to oldest of her seven siblings mm -hmm. and is now 94 years old and has outlived at least three or four of her siblings, um, some of which were younger, all but one were younger, and is still not diabetic. We have seen her A1C creep up a little bit from what it used to be. But she's still not a diabetic at the age of 94, when in America, 50% of people over like 70 are diabetic. So, you know, we think sometimes it's a normal part of aging, but I have seen the difference that long-term habitual habits have in keeping this at bay and really making a difference in the later years. So she's active. She has her mind. She walks well, she can get off the floor with no problem. If she sits on the floor or lies on the floor, she has no problem getting up. And yet she has siblings much younger that are in wheelchairs um, that are not able to be active and so on. And it's really been really interesting to me to notice what a big difference lifestyle choices have made. And I wanna share that because it's never too old to make better lifestyle choices. Yes. So moving after your meals, go for a walk after meals. Don't take that nap. That's right. <laughs> go for a walk. And I do talk about the importance of exercise because I'm thinking I'm listening to you and thinking about my own clients. And mm. I know, like, I never put it the way you did. And I like how you simplified that. But I tell all my diabetic clients, you got to move. A lot of them don't exercise, but mm. they got to move. And that is so important. So I'm glad you um, brought that up. So go for a walk. Here's your takeaway, y'all. Go for a walk after you eat. <laughs> Move and that's immediately. Yes, immediately. After immediately. You, like, put your fork down and you get start moving. Yes, yes, go for that evening walk. I love that. And yeah. um, what do you find the most challenging? You know, when you're working with your clients, what do you find the most hardest for people to actually start to create in their lives? I think many people feel like the most difficult thing for them is moving into a different way of eating. If they're not already in a really healthy pattern of eating, they've often developed food addictions or unhealthy relationships with food where food is, you know, something they turn to for emotional relief, not just for hunger, or they have like patterns of when they pull out the chips or the chocolate chips or, you know, the soda or whatever it is for them. And they have already established real habits around it. And unfortunately, we live in a country where so much of food has been created in a laboratory and created to be addictive. Yes. So moving towards healthy foods, which are not addictive, but make you feel so much better, give you so much energy and help your blood sugars can be one of the hardest things, especially if family is not real supportive. 
because it can seem daunting, for example, to make two different meals. If you want to eat one way and your family's just not on board with it. But many times I think people think it's harder than it actually needs to be. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to make it rather simple. It can be done stepwise. In fact, I actually wrote a book about 12 steps to the most insulin sensitive diet, starting with like a meat and potatoes carnivore. So like, no matter where you are currently in your eating patterns, you're somewhere in these 12 steps. And by simply taking whatever the next step is, you will experience multiple health benefits. And so it's one of those things that I think if people realize they don't have to do everything all at once, that it can be stepwise, and that having guidance on what is the best way to do that stepwise, like what would be the most important thing to change first? Because some things are higher priority than others. When you're looking to balance your blood sugars, there are some things that are going to be really, really hard for your body to handle, but there are other things that aren't going to make as much of a difference. So it's like starting with those highest priority things, what needs to drop off the plate? What can you add to take its place? Or what do you add and let the other stuff fall off? It's like, and I don't want people to ever feel like they're deprived when they're in the process of transitioning. Yeah. And another thing is like, you're, you're also plant-based, correct? Did you always help people plant-based? Cause you know, full disclosure, people know me, they know I'll eat some chicken and fish here and there, maybe even a steak. Not often. I'll eat a lot of red meat, you know, the low carb keto ish kind of thing mm-hmm. has been very effective. So when I think of a lot of the plant-based, I think of rice, I think of beans and things of that sort. So I want to learn a little bit more because plant-based is becoming more popular these days. And I think that can help free a lot of diabetics because they're like, if I can't eat carbs and I don't want to eat meat, what do I eat? You know, just eat Mm. salads every day. But I want Mm -hmm. you to share like your plant-based approach because even though we have similar missions, our approaches might be slightly different. The important thing is we're both getting results (laughs) But I want to learn more about the plant-based journey and how we can help those diabetics and pre-diabetics that choose to be plant-based. Oh, I love that. And thank you for opening up that door. And yes, I totally agree. There is more than one way to approach things. And a lot of times it's like, what are the results you're looking for? What brought me to this? Besides the fact that I was raised plant-based, I was not always a complete plant-based person, I I was always been vegetarian, but there was some fairly long period in my life where I was consuming eggs and dairy products and cheese and things like that. But um, what I found is as I kind of dove into trying to learn more about how our bodies work and how what we put in our bodies affects our bodies, what I learned was that when we want optimal health, we really need to look at the root of our problems, Mm -hmm. like what's underneath our problems. For example, our numbers when it comes to A1C and fasting blood sugars and so on, they're great ways to track and measure what's going on with the blood sugar levels. But the problems we have are not actually about those numbers. Our problems are really a little bit deeper and they lie in the arena of insulin resistance. And so when we look at the science around what actually brings insulin resistance down, which is the root of the problem, which is why when we're eating carbs, we're getting these huge spikes. Mm -hmm. If we address the resistance issue, we find that our bodies can actually handle carbohydrates better. 
So this approach that what I like about it is that it brings us to a place where we can handle the carbohydrates without the huge spikes and the carbohydrates are high quality. So it's not just any carb. When I think we're both going to be in agreement that junk food carbs aren't good for us. It doesn't matter if you're doing keto or you're doing plant-based, right? Mm -hmm. So we're very um, careful about how we choose the carbs with a plant-based approach to diabetes reversal. No, you may not eat unlimited amounts of white potatoes, rice, and pasta, even if it's brown rice and even if it's whole grain pasta. Um, we want to look for things that are as unprocessed as possible. And especially when we're looking at carbs, we're looking at things that have been unrefined that are intact, especially with grains. When we're dealing with trying to reduce insulin resistance, I find that intact grains are the best because they release their carbohydrates, which are already complex, most slowly. So we're looking at things like oat groats, even instead of steel cut oats or old fashioned oats, which have, don't have anything taken away, but have been processed. And the processing has made the breakdown faster in your body. So the the more the grain has been broken down, the faster that carb goes into your blood sugar and creates problems. So whole wheat, some of the less common grains, things like millets or even pseudograins, amaranth, quinoa, often create less of a spike and they're the intact grain. So they come with this coating that's high fiber and slows down the absorption of the carbohydrates, which helps to avoid those spikes after meals. And we also look at balancing the plate, like how much of your plate is grain. We want to keep the grain part smaller, but we need the nutrients in the grain. So we're really looking at how can we maximize the vitamins, the minerals, the fiber in every calorie we consume. And the way we do that is by putting a large emphasis on leafy greens other green above the ground vegetables. So that's like leaves and flowers and stems of plants more than the tubers, which is where the plant concentrates its carbohydrate energy stores. Not that we don't use them, but we're more careful about our portion size with the below the ground tubers and the grains. But we can eat basically as much of the above the ground vegetables as you want. And having a very regular consumption of a variety of beans. Beans being one of the best fiber sources in the plant kingdom, as well as a really high quality form of protein. Mm -hmm. And many people worry about protein, right? If they go to something plant-based, but getting adequate amounts of beans and lots and lots of greens with uh, smaller quantities of root vegetables, whole grains, and some nuts and seeds because all of these have important nutrients and different nutrient profiles, but we just need to watch our proportions for some of those. We mm. also look at keeping the total fat calories down because fat, whether it's fat we carry on our bodies or fat we consume pushes insulin resistance quite quickly. So one of the best ways to increase insulin sensitivity to need less insulin, whether it's from our pancreas or from a shot, is to decrease the fat consumption. Some very interesting studies that have looked at the impact of fat consumption on insulin resistance. And 
I was fascinated when I, I found some that were showing that one fat heavy meal increases insulin resistance for four to five days. And so some people are like, oh, I'll just like have French fries now, but I won't have any for three days. And then I'll have maybe another serving. Well, that's not going to really serve you in terms of improving your insulin resistance, but uh, your insulin sensitivity and decreasing the resistance. And so understanding how these foods impact the physiology that we're working with and what are the things we can do to actually decrease inflammation, insulin resistance, and our risk for things like strokes, Alzheimer's, and heart disease, Mm -hmm. as well as having such a varied, tasty um, platter from which to pick our foods so that we can enjoy what we eat. It's not boring. It it has a lot of variety and can be just amazing. I was just uh, talking to one of the ladies that went through one of my reversing diabetes courses about a year, year and a half ago. And she was sharing how as she just even learned the part about increasing legumes and more fiber in her diet, she was actually had to come off of her medications within one week because her blood sugars were dropping too low. And she has not had to go back on her medications, but she has dropped about 45 pounds. She's at her ideal weight. She and her husband both now, and her husband was one that she thought he'll never change the way he eats, but he started tasting her food and saying, I really like that. That tastes really good. I can eat that. They both lost right about 50 pounds. They have a ton of energy. They've taken up dancing classes. It's like, they're really enjoying life. And to me, that's like, that's what we want to see when we look at whatever, you know, we're implementing. So does that help? Does that help? To yeah, well, that that's good to hear. Because, uh, you know, I was real adamant. I was that person, no carbs, no bread, no rice, no beans. <laughs> so I'm not gonna lie. I was that person. It, it, it works. It worked for some. It, it's like good hearing you because I'm not one of those doctors, oh, you know, my way or no way. That's why I like having these conversations with other practitioners, you know, so maybe I'll lighten up a little bit, let them have some (laughs) beans here and there, because I I go by my journey and everybody's different Sure. because for me, beans was a no-no for me, you know, Mm. so I've been like no grains whatsoever. So, (laughs) and I made my own bread, but at that time I couldn't do it. But now 10 years later, I have reversed my diabetes. I am back to making my own bread. I do have Mm. beans and rice. I am eating it now, but when I was healing, I really uh, Mm. got rid of all that. And now when I'm seeing clients, I'm like, no. So maybe I'll just be like a little bit. You can have a (laughs) little. Well, here's the thing. If if they're still eating more than 20% of their calories from a fat that are fat calories, if you go above the 20%, it pushes insulin resistance so you cannot really tolerate grains and breads and rice. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. It's like you kind of have to choose if you're going to make the switch to make the switch because otherwise your carbohydrate intolerance isn't really addressed. And so you're going to be needing more medications or seeing higher blood sugars. So it it is, you know, there's some pieces to the approach that need to be in place for it to be effective. Mm, That makes sense. And, and the, the, the kinds of carbs is yeah, exactly. super, super important because it's like we eliminate refined foods for optimum insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So no refined oils, no refined grains. Mm-hmm. 
And because those two things are often what get people in trouble. Yeah. Makes but there's so many delicious ways to, to fix um, alternate ways of getting like your healthy fats. Like we need heart healthy fats, but we can get them from avocado, from olives, from nuts and seeds. And even people mm-hmm. that can't tolerate nuts, seeds have a really rich nutrient profile, lots of fiber, lots of vitamins and minerals. Mm-hmm. So we can balance the plate in a way that provides that nutrient density that our body needs for healing. And we find it's more sustainable over the long term. Um, there are a number of studies that show that people are that are on a very low carb or keto diet often have challenges sustaining the diet long term. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have good science for long term health outcomes in terms of uh, heart health outcomes in terms of uh, Alzheimer's, which is now being referred to as diabetes three, because it's so closely related to the whole insulin resistance mechanism. Mm-hmm. So when we look long term, I simply am not finding evidence for anything being better than a whole food plant based yeah, exactly. diet. Exactly. I agree. And with you as on we that. move that direction, we get benefits. So it's like you don't have to go all the way all at once to get benefits. But yeah, understanding how to make that transition. And when people coming from a keto or a low carb diet want to transition to more of a plant based couple of things they have to keep in mind is one is they're usually very insulin resistant, because they've been eating a lot of meat and cheese. And, you know, those are a lot of things that you get on the keto because they don't spike your sugars, right? Which is true, you don't get an instant spike with those things, because they're not releasing glucose immediately. But it's pushing the resistance and the intolerance to carbs. So they're, they're, if they come into the transition and they have a high level of, of insulin resistance, they're going to need to do two things. They need to really focus on their greens and their beans. It needs to be their core with maybe one or two servings of fruit a day and maybe even two or three weeks with no fruit, just like a short period of time. This is not like a long thing, but maybe a short period of time with no fruit and no grains just till they kind of get that balance. They start to get more insulin sensitive and can then tolerate that addition. And they could, the second thing they can expect is that they may see higher blood sugars for a few weeks and not to panic because that's just saying you're actually seeing where your body's at. And so you may need a little bit more medication or you, you know, you may need to monitor how high that's going for a few weeks till you get the balance turned on the insulin sensitivity piece. Yeah, I'm glad you were very thorough on that. And, you know, back to the keto thing, because I was a keto fan for a long time. But when you look at the history of keto, I think years ago it was used for seizures or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, I used to be a keto fan, but it was just for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. But I don't I agree with you. I don't think keto is meant for a long term lifestyle. I think it's good in the short term. It does work. So I'm glad you brought that up. And the fact about the good fats, you know, a lot of people are afraid of all fats, but yeah, those healthy fats are extremely important as well. So Mm -hmm. I agree with, I agree with you more than I disagree. So (laughs) I really don't disagree. It's just a different approach. I just, with me 10 years ago, I was real gung ho. And I guess, cause I was, I guess 10 years ago, what was the paleo diet was real popular. So I got sucked into that. But now, 10 years later, working with people, just really finding where they are and just really monitoring their numbers. But at the end of the day, what we can both agree on is eating whole food, eating real food is really the key. Because a lot of times it's not 
the food that's bad. It's how it's how it's made, you know, mm. so it's, it feels good to make my bread again. You know, it does feel good to eat those things. I love grains. Yeah. I can, um, you Me know, too. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm noticing as well, because the people don't realize, you know, we, we think fruit's healthy. And I used to tell people don't eat too much fruit, avoid the high glycemic fruit. But I'm starting to see it's a connection from like, I went to Jamaica this summer, and I ate a lot of fruit, okay, but it was yeah. fresh and it had a different response to my body than the fruit in this country. So it's like we both have to educate mm. the level of fruit. I think that's part of the problem. I don't think it was the fruit. I think because it's not harvested the same here than it is in the islands or some of the other countries. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that as your insulin sensitivity goes up, you can tolerate more fruit. Like, mm -hmm. um, I have a friend, his name is Robbie Barbero, and he's actually a type one diabetic. And he's been that since he was a teenager. But he has found that using a whole food plant based low fat program, he is so insulin sensitive that he consumes something like 700 grams of carbs a day, and he'll eat papayas and pineapples and bananas. And he is only using physiological amounts of insulin. So that's like the amount a normal pancreas would need to produce to maintain normal blood sugars in somebody that was not diabetic. That's the amount of insulin he generally needs. And he's within target 95% of the time in terms of his sugars. Wow. So, at, but what that reflects is his insulin sensitivity. And that's why I like people to focus on becoming insulin sensitive so that they can enjoy a larger variety of carbs. They can enjoy rice. They can have potatoes. They can do those things. It's they're not eliminated, but they simply have to have the insulin sensitivity levels to tolerate it. Mm -hmm. And it takes a different amount of time for people, depending on kind of where they are in the progression of the disease. Okay. Speaking of insulin sensitivity, and this probably be yeah. our last discussion. It's like, sure. we can talk about this forever. I hang around with yeah. smart people, but <laughs> I'm thinking of insulin sensitivity and my favorite technique for insulin sensitivity was intermittent fasting or just full mm. fasting. What are your thoughts on those? I love intermittent fasting. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very integral part of the program that I recommend people do. But I do have some specific ways that I like to implement it that I believe works best with all of our body systems, the different things that we're doing in our body. And that is that I really recommend people moving from a 12-12, which is at least fasting 12 hours a night, right? But move into their eating window of being six to eight hours a day. So that they're doing like a 16-8 fast or they're doing an 18-6 fast. I think that's optimal for diabetes. And the one thing that many people are surprised at when I talk about it is I really recommend that breakfast be in your eating window and that you don't eat after two or three in the afternoon. Because we have a lot of studies that talk about the timing of our food intake, for example, with weight loss. Mm -hmm. And we can find that the same number of calories, if taken later in the day, will not create the same weight loss as if you took the same number of calories before three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And that's for somebody that's on a regular day-night schedule, right? They're up in the day and they're sleeping at night. So just changing the timing can help to optimize the weight loss piece if that's something that's important for people. And having the long fast period provides for a lot of healing. The gut gets to make melatonin while you're sleeping instead of digesting. So you get better quality sleep. 
and having the breakfast as part one of your big meals in the morning fuels your body. And so like, well, often when we talk about exercise, we do the after meal exercise is kind of first priority. It's like get that in place, that piece. The next one is some aerobic activity before breakfast. Because what that does is it pulls the glucagon out of the muscles, the storage form of sugar, and like opens up and empties the pantry for your body so it can handle breakfast well. So that there's a place for glucose to go because your muscles are empty. They need some mm-hmm. glucagon stores. Your body sees that. So there's places for the glucose from your breakfast to go. And if you combine that with an after meal walking, even if it's 15 or 20 minutes, not a full half hour, you will see that for many people, breakfast can then fuel their day. They don't have a lot of problems with their blood sugar. Their body's ready for breakfast. And then I don't recommend snacks. I just recommend a second meal towards the end of the window so that your whole digestive system is supported in the way it was designed to work, which was to work, to digest a meal, to rest. Right. And to have that rest period. And the longer rest period is very healing. So I think that intermittent fasting is not just good for healing and diabetes control, but a lot of diabetics also, if they drop the third meal, find that it really helps their blood sugars in the 24 hour cycle because they're just not having to deal with that intake. And we also know that it helps you live longer. So, hey, there's all kinds of benefits to intermittent fasting. Yeah, I'm a big intermittent fasting fan too, but I usually tell them not to eat breakfast, like prolong (laughs) that time. But, and I also have them monitors like, okay, if they're not seeing results, if they stop eating at six, I tell them to move that window up a little bit and stop eating earlier. But what I tend to do that seems to work, I used to not eat breakfast at all and just eat one meal a day and Mm -hmm. it was dinner time. And that worked for a while, but then as soon as I hit menopause, I said, nope. So now my body wants to eat earlier. So that was interesting. But now what I'm finding now is just something light. Uh, Now I'm eating fruit. You know, I had cantaloupe Mm -hmm. this morning Mm -hmm. with some tea and that works for me. That's all I need. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have a bigger meal at when I'm home anyway, around three or four o'clock. And that's Uh optimal for me. But then Mm -hmm. other days it varies because I'm at work or I'm on calls and things like that. So it's really about figuring out what works for us. But I love that window and the breakfast. So again, I'll kind of lighten up and say, (laughs) okay, okay, you can try some breakfast because Lucia said you could. So because, you know, if you do breakfast, it's like you just have to pay attention to the window. If you're eating earlier, it means you stop eating earlier. You don't make the window smaller (laughs) for fasting. It's just shifting it. I know my listeners are saying, thank you. You know, she's (laughs) tough on me. She's like, no. (laughs) So I'll lighten up, folks. I promise. But I'm glad we're having these conversations. That's why it's like it's good to talk to other practitioners because, hey, there's a lot of things that work is really working together. That's why I'm having these sessions with other professionals Mm. is we got to find what works for us, get the information and share. And that might give someone an aha moment so they can say, you know what, Dr. Leona told me not to eat breakfast and and it's not working. But Lucia said I could. So I'm going to try that. You have my permission. It's okay. Just let me know what happens. <laughs> yes, yeah, experiment. Experiment. Yeah, it's Absolutely. okay to experiment. Yeah, yeah. I kind of lightened up through the years, but I used to be pretty hardcore, all or none. 
yeah. and it doesn't work very well. So we we mature, we get better clinically. So <laughs> as we, learn we work from with each more other. people, yeah, and as we work with more people, we learn that everything doesn't work for everybody. It's our job to help them navigate those differences because mm -hmm. it's confusing out there. I mean, when I talk to yes. clients, they don't know. They're so confused. They're like, mm -hmm. okay, do I eat one meal a day? Do I eat two meal a day? Do I eat no carb, low carb? I mean, I don't remember it being this overwhelming until recently. I think the internet did that. So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. But I think yeah. understand the more we understand about the way our body was designed to work, the better we can make choices in harmony with that. So I always encourage people to learn more about anatomy, learn more about physiology. I find that that education has been yes. super valuable to me. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And I try to explain the physiology with people too, because most yeah. people are like, oh, I ain't doing that. But as long as we explain, they understand, because yeah. I think it's fascinating how the body operates. So <laughs> cool nerds, high five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is awesome. So we covered quite a bit your story, reversing diabetes. We kind of had our plant-based debate, which is awesome because I think the reason why I got not frustrated with the plant-based and how it can heal is because when I was vegetarian, I was a very bad vegetarian. Mm. So I think that's why I was like, no, you can't mm -hmm. eat all those carbs. But I was doing now mm -hmm. thinking about it. I was doing all the soy yogurts and the you know, I was a bad vegetarian and the French fries and I was doing lots of juices. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, I wasn't mm -hmm. doing the whole food. So that's why yes. I'm a little bit more relaxed with my clients. And I was like, okay, if you want some watermelon here and there, let, let's do that. But just try to find that, that I call it the yeah. sweet spot, you know, what works for you and find that level that you can handle. And I have them keep track of their numbers and everything. Mm -hmm. just that's so important because we're all different. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, tracking your numbers is basic. You yes. really want to do that. Yes, absolutely. All right. So go ahead and share where people can learn more about you, products, books. Go ahead and share. It's your chance okay. to shine here. All right. And, and I hope that you'll also put links in the program. Absolutely. So I'll definitely have them. that in the links. Yes. In the description. I have a website. Okay. So I have a website called The Harvest Cook. Dot com, And that's a resource for people that are looking to include more plants in their diet. You don't even have to be wanting to go completely plant-based, but there's some great articles about how to transition. There's even a few articles in there on how to do keto and be plant-based, if that's something you're really sold on mm. wanting to do. So, and I'll tell you, don't do this forever, but here's how you can do it if you want. Uh, and there's a, a, a growing, uh, ever-growing collection of recipes that are easy to make simple, very tasty. They've been tested on many people from many different backgrounds, uh, different ethnic groups. Uh, I like to have a variety. I, I grew up on international foods, living overseas in different places. So I like to have a lot of variety. So if you don't like one thing, try a different one. It's like mm -hmm. you can make yourself a repertoire that works. So that's one resource around the food. And another resource is to uh, follow me on Instagram, Lucia Tiffany RN, or you'll also find me on YouTube at Undoing Diabetes God's Way. So that's the name of my channel. It's a growing channel. So feel free to follow and subscribe and you'll be getting more and more content. It's a kind of a new launch for me. So you might not see a ton of stuff there right now, but I got lots of plans for how that is going to be growing and providing a lot of resources for you as you're looking at things you can use lifestyle wise to do that. 
And last but not least, if you are ready to jump in and actually see how this works for you, you might love my five-day drop your blood sugar challenge. And I actually take you through five days of trying some things that are probably feel a little intense, but it's a five day thing. It's like, we can do anything for five days. But what I want you to experience in that five days is how these things you implement from a lifestyle basis, bring your numbers down. And it's amazing how much of an impact you can see in just five days. If you know what things to focus on and what is going to actually really affect your numbers while making you more insulin sensitive. So just uh, you can reach out to me at Lucia at luciatiffany.com and we'll get you hooked up with the next challenge on the books. We run them every other month or so and I have one coming up here in September. So uh, feel free to reach out and we'll get you connected with that. All right. Now I have everything in the description. So be sure to read the description and get all that information. because right. That's right. So the link to- for... Yeah, for the challenge and the cookbook. I love cookbooks, so I'm looking forward to trying it. I checked it out. I was like, hmm, never thought of this. I would have never (laughs) eaten this before, but you know what? I'm going to open up my mind. and <laughs> Yeah, I can't there you remember go. There what you it go. was. Yeah, but um, there was a, quite a few good things on there. So definitely check them out, everybody. So any closing comments you want to share? I just want you to remember that health is wealth. And it comes by choice, not by chance. Love it. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, Lucia, thank you for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. I mean, it's thank just you. when two crewers get together, it. it's just <laughs> fascinating. But uh, thank you for being on the show. And listeners, thank you for your attention. If, again, go into the description notes to learn more about Lucia Tiffany. And thank you for your attention. And until next time, go out there and achieve more freedom in your health and your life. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, seal the deal to heal by leaving a review, subscribing to the podcast and sharing with a friend. Thanks again. And we'll continue the journey next week.